evening, everyone. I'm happy to hear uh, so many great conversations happening at the table, friendly faces and, uh, and eager, eager hearts and ears to hear what we've got to talk about this evening. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm pleased you're all here and that you've uh, spent uh, allocated 90 minutes of your Sunday evening to come learn what I hope uh, God has something to say to you tonight. And I hope that you're here ready to hear what he has to say and that uh, we can have a productive time together. Um, I'm going to pray to get us started and then uh, we'll dive right in because I was saying uh, to Brian and Colin at the door here, I, I've given this uh, talk a number of times at a variety of different venues, churches, groups, and I've done it in as short as 90 minutes, which is tonight, and I've done it in as long as 12 hours. So um, the same material is just packed in really dense. And so I want to give you the full experience uh, without holding anything back, and yet we've got a lot to go through, so I don't want to, don't want to delay. Uh, so I hope you're ready and that you'll join in and, and be engaged and, and, uh, and that we can have a, a great time together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I'm so grateful for all that you teach us. Uh, your ever, ever enduring patience with us as a good, good father, and that you chasten those you, you love uh, through your word and through your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I ask your spirit to be here with us this evening. Uh, we're gathered in your name, Lord, for your glory. And we want to see you lifted high in your name, lifted high. We want people to know about your son, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would be guiding us this evening through all that uh, you have to say through your word and all the things we're going to discuss. We're only scratching the surface, Lord, uh, and I hope that tonight will be a prompt, a little prod for all of us to go deeper uh, wherever we're at, whatever level we're at, um, that you'd be engaging there with us through your Holy Spirit, Lord. I just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, I feel like I, I don't really know everyone here. I do know a, a number of you, uh, and my apologies for not introducing myself each, to each one of you personally before we started, but uh, I do want to give you a brief uh, overview of, of sort of my own story, um, of how I ended up coming here and being here talking to you tonight. Um, I mentioned that I've given this talk a number of times, and. Um, I always start with this, which is just my own personal story. And each of us has one. Uh, I'm going to focus on the area of finances in my story because I feel like that is one of the main ways that God's spoken to me in my own life and in my own faith walk. And uh, it's just been really important for me. Um, so I feel like it's important to relate to you. Uh, and hopefully you can take something from it. One, I grew up in a... In a uh, Christian home with uh, parents who love God. They s walk with the Lord, brought us to church. I went to private uh, Christian elementary school, um, and I grew up in a, in a very loving home. I am blessed uh, beyond measure. I can't even thank my parents enough for all that they did, did for me and uh, bring me to know the, the word of God and God at an early age. I came to know Jesus at three, and I experienced the indwelling of the Holy Spirit at that age. And I can say confidently that's uh, 
that's something I, it's ever since I've known Jesus and I've loved him and I'm so thankful. Um, and that doesn't mean my life wasn't without struggles though. I certainly went through an age of rebellion uh, during my teenage years as many people do, testing the limits of what life has to offer and I tested many things. Um, I won't go into all of them because that's a different story, uh, but I tested a lot. <laughs> and my parents, I'm sure, aged uh, many, many years during those years of my life. <laughs> uh, one of the things I tested God with as I became a young man was in the area of finance. Now, I had been very good with my money. Uh, I'd been saving. I saved up for my university training. I'd always worked. I paid for my own car. I, I did a lot and accomplished a lot financially before I was even like 19, 18, 19 years old. And I was really uh, what probably doing everything right, uh, all things considered. But this was an area of great challenge, and Satan chose to test me in this area of my life. And I went uh, from being in a very good position financially to like negative, like really worse than zero. Uh, <laughs> like you don't want, you understand what I'm saying? I didn't own anything and I owed a lot, all right? Um, in a very short period of time, two, three years, in my early 20s, I spent money I didn't have on stuff I didn't need. I, I don't, I still to this day don't know what I bought and why. Um, and it was just a trap. I, I, f I fell into a trap of trying to find comfort in things that just could never provide it. Um, up until this point in my life, I'd never considered giving and uh, regularly as like something that, that, that God cared about. I'd heard of the idea of tithing uh, in the church, but I really had never heard a great sermon or even dove into the scriptures on why it's important to give. And I just, I just never, didn't, wasn't important. Um, I was never challenged or convicted on it, but one day I'd, I'd known that I'd gotten myself into a pickle uh, and that my finances weren't in good shape. I knew that, I knew how to do math. I was a business major <laughs> in school and uh, I, I knew lots about finances, but I just, just, for whatever reason, just couldn't get my act together. And, um, <clears throat> I was listening to, the, to a Christian radio station one day, and I was listening to a man named Larry Burkett. He's now passed away, but he r started and ran a ministry called Crown Financial Ministries, and he had a radio program on where he took calls from people, and he talked to them about their own finances and what the Bible had to say about money. And as I r listened to the, his radio program t uh, many, many times as I drove my car to and from work each day, I was like, wow, the Bible really says that? And then I'd go home and sure enough, it's there. Like that's what, and he said this one thing so many times, it just is ingrained in my head, is that there's over 2,300 verses in the Bible about managing finances. And I thought, no way. And he said another thing, which, and, and I, I have looked it up, and in fact, it's true. Um, Jesus talked about money and how we handle our finances and possessions more than he talked about heaven or hell, uh, which is surprising. Uh, his lessons on heaven and hell were often based on financial things, so there must be something there that God wants us to deeply understand. And 
one of the things that I was convicted of during that time in my life was the idea of making sure that I gave my first fruits or gave what came to me first to God. Now, I was in a position, like I mentioned, of being in a negative uh, net worth position. I had nothing and I owed money uh, to credit card companies and loans and stuff. And yeah, I wasn't good. So I was like, that doesn't make any sense at all. I'm just doing math and I'm going, okay, like there's a couple accountants here in the room, you know, like income in, expenses out. I'm going to add an expense out and not add income in and it tr add the giving over here. And it's, it just doesn't add up. How am I going to pay off this debt if I'm now giving? And God just kept pushing on me and he must love me because he was very patient with me. And he just kept saying, yeah, you, you got to start and, and do this. And you just, I'm going to take care of you. And so I did. I started giving um, uh, very little at first, but I gave faithfully every time I was paid and I just did it. I kind of shut my eyes, plugged my nose and ears and I ran out of fingers, so I just <laughs> hummed really loud <laughs> and just prayed that God would take care of me because I did not know how I was going to pay my bills um, and pay off the, the debts I had. <clears throat> Fast forward a couple of years, and, and God was faithful through all of that time. I, every time I gave, I was always pushed to uh, give a little more and be a little more faithful, and I, I don't have enough time to relay to you what God did in my heart during that time because I was going through a number of other things, but he worked in my heart to see that what I was pursuing with purchasing things was only found in him. And even though I'd known Jesus from a very young age, that he was still trying to show me how big he was, how inexhaustible he was, how great God is, and he was using the tool of my finances to get at me, and he did, and he's been faithful ever since, and I have not. <laughs> um, I've stumbled. I've definitely made lots of incorrect decisions with my finances, but he continues to be faithful, and he always draws me back to just saying, thank you, God, so much for what you've done in my life. And I share that with you, not to brag at all, because if you could follow anybody, don't follow me, okay? I've made many, many mistakes, um, and the, all that I have that's good today is only because of God's patience and faithfulness to me. So follow him, not me, all right? <laughs> we good? So what I want to talk to you about tonight is in three parts. Now that you know who I am and why I feel this is so important, is one, the first part is what we're going to uh, talk about is the idea of stewardship. Stewardship is a word that we use here in the church. It's also used in many other areas of life. Uh, it's used with uh, environmentalists, use this word to talk about how we might take care of the earth better. Um, if you were... Uh, you had an island that you owned and you wanted to uh, not live there all the time and take care of it, you would hire a, hire a steward. The Scottish last name Stuart comes from the word steward, um, which just means caretaker. Um, in the Bible, the idea of stewardship is that we are caretakers. 
So there's principles of being a caretaker, um, it's, it, and that what God is calling us to be is, is that, one, he owns everything, and that, two, we're just managing. And there's some aspects to management that he draws out pretty clearly, uh, and we're going to go into that. And, um, and then w what do we do from there? Like, so if, if we're using this principle, like God owns everything, it's all his, now what? And that's kind of probably why you're here tonight, is that this is not a topic that's often talked about in church, but we're here to talk about it tonight. The second part, so stewardship is the first. What does that mean? Second part is, what are kind of like uh, the black and white issues that the Bible talks about? In, so in the Bible, all of these 2,300 verses plus about money and finances and how we handle our, our things and our, 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 our treasure or money, uh, what does it have to say? Like, is there, like, some stuff that gets, like, bubbles to the surface is like, this is really clear. God says, do this, and don't do that. And there is some. So there are some, what I'll call, like, just basics. These are, like, really underlying the, the, what he wants for us to experience in this life here on earth with our finances. And then the third thing that we want to talk about tonight is requires a little bit more uh, sandpaper, we'll say. It's gritty. Um, so it's not cut and dry. There's a lot of gray areas in finance and managing our time and resources that we can encounter, especially in a wealthy society like we live in here in Canada. We live in the wealthiest period of time in human history. We have access to more resources and knowledge than anybody ever. Uh, my children have access to like unbelievable amounts of information, entertainment, possessions, and, and things that I, I would never even dream of as a child, and I'm not even that old at 41. Um, I can only imagine what my grandmother in her 90s thinks, uh, you know, about what's gone on in the world <laughs> now compared to the way she grew up, saving tinfoil and uh, every little thing, because she just didn't, they didn't have anything. Um, it's just truly amazing. So we have a vast amount of things that are disposable, how, at, at our disposal, so how do we use them? You know, like, what kind of car should we drive? Well, the Bible's not clear on that. It didn't say, like, I want you to buy a pickup truck with four doors and a 3.5 liter engine. Like, it just doesn't say that, does it? What kind of house should you live in? Well, it's got to have four bedrooms and da-da-da. It, it didn't talk about that at all. So these are the kind of things, though, that occupy our daily life. This is what, in my mind anyway, is going through my head, like, all the time. Like, okay, well, we need to do this, and this is how we should manage that, and da-da-da. Okay, the Bible's not super clear about this stuff. So how do we, as God-fearing Christians, how do we encounter these day-to-day, rubber-meets-the-road kind of issues? How do we, wh is there a framework that we can use to start moving ahead and making these the correct choices or what might be the correct choices? And then how do we test if they were correct and, and move on from there? So I'm hopeful that we will get there. I do want you, especially at the end, to be prepared to talk. So among your table, I've prepared along the way three different times for us to kind of check in with us as a group and uh, there'll be some questions that I prompt you to talk about, and, um, and we'll go from there. So I'm going to be... Uh
rushing through a lot of material, and I encourage anyone who has questions along the way to please raise their hand, and if I don't see you, like, just yell. Say, Eddie, <laughs> stop. <laughs> that wasn't clear. Please back up and play again. I'll do my best. So, uh, stewardship. That's what we're talking about first. I mentioned that it is being a good manager of our time, our talents, and our treasure. Um, that is essentially what we have at our disposal. So we have only 24 hours in the day. Uh, that we only have so many years in our life. How do we use our time? So we will talk about that only very briefly. Uh, our talents, so God's obviously gifted us, each of us, with different things that we do well and don't do well. I was watching football earlier today, and I certainly cannot run 40 meters in four and a half seconds. But the receivers on the Tennessee Titans, they sure can. And that quarterback on the Kansas City Chiefs, man, like, wow. I could not throw a ball that far, ever, in my whole life. Even if I trained to do it, it's just not possible. Some people have different kinds of talents, and other people don't. And we're meant, as a body of Christ, to build each other up and to complement each other's talents. So how do we use them well? That's also part of being a good steward. Again, not the topic for tonight. We could have a seminar on giftedness and, and what giftedness means in the church and so on, but that's not tonight. The third one is treasure. So what do we do with our possessions, our money, the things at our disposal? So we've got time, talent, and treasure. How do we use those? So there's four principles I want to talk about as far as stewardship. So the first one is ownership. Ownership just means who has the deed or the title to what you have. Well, I gave it away in a sentence. First of all, first of all our culture, North American culture, Western culture, has this idea that we have private property rights. And our whole society is built upon this premise that you can get the title or the deed to a property, a business, uh, shares, you know, you can own things and control them through the ownership. This is uh, great. It's caused a lot of human flourishing <laughs> in society. But it, underneath that, there's a deeper level that God wants us to understand. And that is that he actually owns everything. And why? He created it out of nothing. He made, spoke the world into existence, and it's his because he made it. Uh, everything on the earth uh, is his because he created out of nothing. He wants us to manage it, and actually Genesis even gives that command to Adam and Eve and on and on to many of his, uh, their descendants. He's been giving this command to rule over the earth, to steward it well, to have dominion and create new things. In his image, we're meant to create new things out of what he's given us at, at, his, at our disposal. And so we're supposed to do that faithfully. So ownership is the first. The verse I put up there is Psalm 24, 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. There's a bunch of other verses that talk in the same vein. You know, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He has all the gold and all the silver are his. On and on and on. Scripture is very clear who owns everything. It's God. The second principle is responsibility. And I've chosen a verse from Deuteronomy 8, uh, which says, 
you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. So we have a great responsibility because of the ability that he gave us. We don't have anything apart from him. So we have a great responsibility to the one who endowed us with the power and the goods to begin with, right? The third principle is accountability. So the, th the Matthew 25 is the, the verse I chose for this one to illustrate it. it just uh, is the parable of the talents. So there's master, three servants. He gives each servant a different amount of money to manage, a vast amount, uh, and they all do different things with it. Uh, two are faithful and one is not. And the master says this to one of the faithful servants. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And this is uh, an illustration Jesus is, is uh, giving to the group around him to talk about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And Honestly, if there's a, a verse that just speaks to my heart that convicts me time and time again of like, manage this well, it's this verse. This is the verse I want to hear when I get to heaven. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, you've done, I've put you in charge of a few things. Now I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come share in my happiness. Boy, that would be just, that would be a life well lived in my in my mind. Do you, does anyone remember what he said to the, the unfaithful servant? <laughs> you can pipe up, it's okay. We'll save that for the break then. <laughs> it's, it wasn't kind, we'll say that. Uh, he banished him out of, <laughs> out of his kingdom, basically. <laughs> um, the fourth principle, the last one, is reward. And so we have a, uh, <clears throat> the principle of ownership, that there's responsibility and accountability, and there's also a promise of great reward. The first we just looked at uh, in Matthew 25 alludes to it, and here in Colossians 3, uh, it also s talks about this. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Wow, that's really important. Uh, Paul's writing uh, to the Colossians just saying like, yeah, keep going. You're working for Jesus. Like he's your boss, not me. Uh, and it's true, he is. He's purchased us with the, his death on the cross and we serve him. That's why we gather and worship him. It's because he's done so much for us, something we could never do for ourselves. And so for him to even, like, because he's already given us so much, he owes us nothing. And yet for the promise here to be that there's even further reward, a great inheritance for us is totally amazing to me. Like, wow, like God is so, so gracious and generous to us. And uh, the fact that we could work on this earthly life we have for a heavenly reward is, is tremendous. So uh, with, with that said, I do want to take 
a couple minutes around your table to talk about this concept and the, prin the principles we've, I've already talked about here in your own life and in your own words, what they mean to you. So I've put up a couple questions um, that hopefully can prompt you to, to, to have a discussion around your table about stewardship and what that word means and what it means in, a, in our context here in the church of being a follower of Jesus. How am I doing? Uh, am, I, am I doing well acknowledging that God owns everything? How can I improve at managing his resources? What's my biggest success in this area and what's my biggest challenge? Maybe what's my next step or what, what is God calling me to? We'll take about, I'm going to say, five minutes and I'll just wander around the room. If you have questions for me, I'd like to hear your conversations and, and eavesdrop a little bit if you want to ask each other these, these questions. <laughs> wow, I hear lots of great conversations. I'm sorry to cut you all off. <laughs> I really am sorry. I really. <clears throat> so, I, like I could highlight at each table, I was hearing great stories, uh, things that you're feeling, you've felt growth in, as well as things that you felt challenged by and currently feel challenged by, and that's a good thing. It means God's at work in your life, and you're not perfect yet. <laughs> and that we're all striving together uh, as central, as a church community, as brothers and sisters. We're here to help one another out and ask these kinds of questions to one another. How's God working in your life right now? What's he calling you to next? What verses have been speaking to you right now about that? And uh, times like this, like tonight, are great opportunities for us to have those like, oh, yes, I can check in, and this is a great time to have those kind of reflective thoughts and, and conversations, and hopefully, because we're not going to cover everything, like I said earlier, uh, in 90 minutes. So, we'll move on. So, <clears throat> the, the framework for this next part of our talk tonight is about, like I was kind of alluding to, kind of, I'm, I hate saying that they're black and white issues, because that really conveys a very stark kind of uh, attitude towards them. And I want to just add before I dive into them that there's nuance and even gray area to each of these points. And if I don't explain it just perfectly, I feel like I do you a disservice and I won't do it perfectly. So please bear with me, be patient, and I also encourage you to go into it yourself. So we're gonna go over a bunch of verses and each verse kind of builds on, they build on each other. And why I chose to communicate it this way in the variety of times I've done this talk is, uh, is that, so I, in my work, I'm a financial planner. Uh, I work at RBC here in town and I, I deal with people and their finances every single day. And if, if I don't use a process, things are a mess. And if we don't know where we're starting and where we want to end, it's a mess. It's just chaos. And I know that God is a God of order and not of chaos. And so I believe that there should be some kind of process. And I think that I've tried to, at least in my own study, in my own life, 
discern what sort of process that might be for personal finance for a believer, okay? And so that's what I'm conveying here this evening is a process that I feel will work for anybody at any stage that they're at, whether they're very wealthy or very poor, whether they're very in debt, whether they're a new believer or been a believer for their whole life. So uh, I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver, but I feel strongly uh, that this is a good approach. I'm not saying it's perfect, I just feel like it works, and that's important to me. So, <clears throat> there's many, many cliches and old wives' tales and sayings and even proverbs about how do you climb a mountain? Well, it's one step at a time. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And it's true with finances too. I don't want to overstate that enough, is that if you follow one step at a time and kind of do this dull plodding kind of process, it will work. Uh, the warning I have for all of you though, is that it's dull. There's a reason accountants get a, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> get a reputation for being kind of dull, is that it just is, I'm sorry. I have clients who complain to me about the dullness <laughs> of their financial well-being, and I said, go buy a sports car. The, your financial life should not be exciting. You're doing it wrong if it's exciting. The only things I get excited about financially are when I, one, write a check to, like, charity, and I know that God has brought me to the decision to give that amount to that charity, and I feel elated. Like, that is exciting to me. I don't, like, I frustrate car salesmen because they're like, are you excited about your new truck? And I'm like, nah, I'm just not. I don't get excited about anything financial. I just don't, uh, except my giving. I do get very excited about where uh, I choose to give, and that's because God's in it, and I'm excited to work where he's brought me. Um, so, the steps uh, that I've, I'm draw, going to draw out tonight, there's six of them. The sixth step leads us into our third section. So I don't want to overburden you. I'm a very like numbers and uh, organized kind of guy. I'm a financial planner, so you kind of expect that. Um, sorry about the numbers. So there's six steps, and the sixth step is kind of the end of the process, and that leads us into our kind of financial gray areas that we're going to talk about in the last part of our talk tonight. So, the first step, and I, uh, is a planning principle that has its roots in Christian discipleship uh, for Christians. So, Jesus said in Luke 14, uh, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. And I remember that verse <laughs> because um, I remembered that verse at a very young age because my dad brought it up. And the, when he brought it up was we would drive on my way to school or to church, there was, there was a house under construction. And the house was under construction for probably four or five years. <laughs> and you know the, one, the kind of thing I'm talking about here. Somebody ran out of money <laughs> halfway through their house build, and they didn't quite get it done, and it's still not done, and it, it, it's embarrassing. 
That's what Jesus is talking about here. And that's why this verse stuck with me so much. There are a few other verses in the Bible that talk about this concept of knowing the condition of your flocks or um, having an idea of where you stand financially. Here, Jesus is talking about discipleship, but he's using an earthly principle that people are supposed to understand, and he assumes everyone gets it. And that's why he's using it. In discipleship, we are supposed to count the cost of following Jesus. It does mean that we need to live differently, and we'll probably stand out a bit. And we're going to get into that a bit later about what that means financially. So the first principle is the first step in the process of getting your financial life in order. Um, Basically, step one doesn't involve doing anything. You don't have to do anything. All you need to do is find out some basic facts about where you stand. In the financial world, this means what's coming in and what's going out. That means your income and expenses. You need to know what those numbers are. So you need to have an idea on an annual basis or a monthly basis. I don't care what time period it's over. Annually and monthly seems to be the way most people work. But you need to know what's coming in and what's going out. The other thing that you need to know is how much you own and have control over. We know God owns everything. I'm more talking about what God's entrusted you to steward. So what you own and what you owe. So all your assets minus your liabilities. This is a very, very basic uh, accounting 101 kind of uh, process. But everyone needs to know these kind of numbers. If you're going to manage your resources well and the resources that God's put in your care, you need to know these numbers and you need to know them pretty much all the time. You can't ever skip step one. You will run into trouble. If you write a check and there's not enough money in your bank account, what happens? That's a bad thing, right? Like, you're going to overdraft charges, the check will bounce, it's embarrassing, on and on it goes. You need to know the condition of your financial situation on a regular basis. You need to know it. I kind of do it like every couple weeks, every month, um, but it's sort of habit for me. I check on it regularly. I don't obsess about it. I don't want to be accused of that. I try not to anyway. Um, Because by looking, I don't change anything. But it is important to know, okay, step two, I need to understand, like, where am I coming from? So step, in order to move ahead, you need to know where you are. Second step is planning principle uh, that's found in Proverbs 6. Um, (laughs) It says, this is a really uh, fun verse to (laughs) bring up. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in the summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. The principle here is about preparation. Uh, So the idea of not being prepared for when winter comes. We'll just say winter, it's easy to understand because we're in winter right now, but there's nothing ready. You can't just plant something and then eat something a few weeks weeks later, like you can at other times of the year. Uh, You need to 
to be prepared for the, the winter seasons of life, the winter seasons of our work, the winter seasons, uh, you know, that, that just come around because of emergencies and things that happen. Uh, so that's what uh, step two is all about. Uh, it's about making sure your basics are covered, being prepared for uncertain uncertainty. So living at the very edge of your margins, i.e. I. like living at the max of your credit card debt or lines of credit and, and being really overburdened with monthly payments and debts and so on, is not uh, a good way to be prepared for bad times. So step two is the, f the first thing is living within your means, which just means that you're, you need to have a higher income than your expenses. Again, not complicated <laughs> as a concept, sometimes hard to do. So making sure you have a surplus each month. And then I put in this step because this is the way it worked for me. Um, and I think that God actually wants us to do this is that to give. Giving um, in the Bible anyway is one of those black and white issues. It's non-negotiable. It's from the very first, uh, <laughs> you know, people, Adam and Eve and their kids, people were giving uh, to God uh, regularly. And Abel was the first person in the Bible to be commended for his gift to God. It wasn't because God didn't needed that. He didn't need uh, the, the first fruit of Abel's flock. He didn't need a dead sheep or whatever animal it was. I don't know. Um, he didn't need that it was glorifying to him. And I believe very strongly that I'm at this stage, if you have a surplus each month, however big it is, that from that, God uh, asks us to give uh, of our first fruits as an act of worship. Just like we sing in church, we can sing with our wallet. Uh, and he is praised and glorified by that and promises blessing even on those who, who do that. So that's a truly amazing promise uh, from my view, and that is the second step. The third step um, is about what do you do from there? So we've gotten the condition of our finances. We know what's coming in, going out. We've created a monthly surplus, and we're starting to give uh, faithfully to God's work uh, on a regular basis. So the third step is about moving ahead. So we're, if you're at this step, um, we're talking about Proverbs 22, verse 7 here, I, I drew out, the rich rule over the poor, and this borrower is slave to the lender. And the principle here is to not be um, burdened by debts, debts that you can't be, uh, can't get rid of immediately if you have to, okay? So I'm not talking about all debt. Some uh, financial teachers on the radio, TV, um, just, they're like, no debt ever. And uh, I just don't see that as being super practical or even that helpful uh, to most people. If God calls you to that, though, I'm, I'm just going to say that. If God calls you to a completely no debt ever kind of life, awesome. Like, don't disobey him. All right? Like, don't hear me saying, like, giving you permission to go out and do some crazy thing if God's calling you to something different. I think God may call some people to not ever take out any kind of debt. I think for many others, though, there will be responsible kinds of debt, perhaps debt to open a business, debt to purchase a home. And I'm going to say the caveat on using debt as a tool is that it, one, must be used as a tool, and two, 
you must be able to get out of it on a short notice if, if the necessity comes up. So what I mean by that is that if your debt is tied to an asset, like a home, that you could legitimately sell that asset and pay off the debt right away if you had to. So things that don't qualify is pretty much everything else. <laughs> uh, so those are fairly tough restrictions for most of us. Uh, you know, like most people borrow to buy a car and most people borrow to buy this or that thing. But unless you can actually like pay that off uh, right away, uh, I would encourage you not to uh, take on any new debt. Um, that's what the third step is, is creating breathing, breathing room by having a debt repayment plan, escaping the paycheck to paycheck cycle that pro more than half of Canadians say they're on, um, which means ha having breathing room, having at least a month of your expenses set aside in a separate account to be prepared for rainy days, for, for winters uh, as they may come. Other things that are are sort of found uh, as like basic good planning for people is having a will and making sure that you have enough insurance so that you aren't in a hard, like you're not burdening your family, for example, if something might befall you, like a car accident or a house fire or untimely death or illness. Um, it's prudent to plan accordingly and have some kind of a, a plan um, to deal with those kind of situations. Now, um, a lot of people here may, I'm not saying here in the room, uh, I'm just saying in general, uh, might feel like, oh, that feels like you're not really trusting God with uh, your life if you're always, if you've got to have all these things like planned out. And, and yeah, there's an element to that for sure. But God doesn't uh, give instructions like in Proverbs there and saying like, go to the ant and look at the ant. It's saving up for the time when it won't have. And so why does God want us to understand principles like that? There's many, many like that in the Bible that we can find and say, oh, okay, well, yeah, like obviously God wants us to like save for the future, but he also wants us to trust him Jesus says things like, yeah, don't, don't take anything with you. And then sometimes he'll say, like, yeah, be prepared and take all this stuff with you to his disciples. It seems kind of ambiguous. And so it's hard to understand. But I think in principle, God is basically saying to all of us, unless I tell you otherwise, do this. All right? Uh, so there may be exceptions to the rule, but I don't think the rule should be broken en masse. Uh, and that is, just be smart, okay? Don't spend more than you make. Make sure you're not overly indebted because I don't want you to be a slave to the bank or the credit card company. I want you to be a slave to me. I bought you, you're mine. We're supposed to be slaves to Christ, not to anybody else. And that's maybe hard teaching, but uh, that is the way it is. And uh, I do feel that as a financial planner, you know, things like having a will and life insurance seem like really prudent planning steps as uh, a man with a lot of responsibility at work and so on and home. I've got, you know, three children. I just couldn't ever imagine being in a situation where I left them destitute. And so I would want, I would want to make, I, I, I need to make sure that they're well taken care of. I know that um, there's many situations of people um, dying without life insurance, and certainly I've seen those situations, and um, it's, it's, it's not 
it's not great. Like, my own wife came from a family where her father died at a very young, her, when she was very young, and it was not easy. Um, I would, you know, like, talk to anybody who's lost a parent or something like that and what that meant financially for them, uh, and it's, it's not pretty. It's not pretty from losing the person you love <laughs> and also not pretty financially. So if we can do some planning as a believer to make sure our families are provided for, um, as is instructed in, uh, in uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, um, that's a good thing. If we've done these three steps, so we've got, uh, we know where we are, we've, we've, we've got a monthly surplus and we're giving, and then we're, we've got in a bit of an emergency fund and we're, we've got a plan to pay off our debts. The fourth principle is uh, Proverbs 21. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, and f- but fools gulp theirs down. I love the Proverbs. They're very like, there you go. <laughs> and uh, that, that one's, that one's uh, pretty, pretty tough, uh, tough teaching there. Uh, I, I, the idea of being wise versus a fool is so stark. Uh, it's like, like the idea of black and white to me. It's, it's just like, oh, I, well, I don't want to be a fool. Like, who does? Um, and certainly I'm guilty at times of gulping down a few things, but uh, it's not, uh, uh, you know, some, a teaching I would want to take lightly long term. So being prepared for the future uh, is the principle of the verse, which is the wise store up things that they know they will likely need. And if they don't need it, somebody else they know probably will. So there's an idea of being prepared not only for yourself, but for those around you, your family. So step four is creating a safety net for yourself. So what I mean by that is having a larger emergency fund. So if you've moved on from step three where you've got a month of living expenses, I'd encourage you to have a larger one, three to six months living expenses on hand, separate account, whatever you need to do to make that happen. Um, and then starting uh, to do something about long-term savings. And that might mean different things for different people. Uh, in my longer talks, I've often talked about a whole bunch of details here that you can get into. In Canada, there's basic ways that you know, we can save. Um, they're all good. <laughs> um, I wouldn't get too caught up on all the details uh, to start, especially. Uh, if you're in the further steps here, then you certainly, we're gonna need to dive into the details. If you're in a situation where financially you've got lots of choices, yeah, how you do this matters. Uh, at this step, you're really just starting. So you, you're starting to save for the long term. So. You know, I didn't know anything about financial anything when I was like 20 years old, and my dad just said, you're working full-time, you should save in an RSP, go to the bank. And I'm like, oh, I, okay. <laughs> I, I wasn't always that obedient to my dad, but in that instance I sure was, and so I, I made an appointment to go talk to somebody at the bank, and I just started saving $100 a month in an RSP, and I've never stopped ever since I was 20. Um, it's a bit different than $100 a month now, but you know, it, it's something. And, and that's where I started and, and it grows from there. But how you do that isn't all that important uh, to begin with, but the, the, the uh, important thing is that you start preparing for some point in the future. I don't wanna say retirement, but it might be that. Uh, some point in the future when you're either unable or unwilling to work or nobody will hire you, <laughs> uh, 
And you'll need to be prepared. It's the idea of being wise, of storing up a little bit for the future. The fifth step is uh, a planning principle that I got from Ecclesiastes 11. This is, uh, Ecclesiastes has got to be either one of the most depressing books in the Bible or the most encouraging, depending on how you read it. <laughs> I'd encourage you to read it in the encouraging way, but it takes a little while. I'll just say that it was a challenge for me to read through Ecclesiastes. I, I did a deep dive on it a couple years ago, and it was just like, ugh, so hard to, to go through the first couple times. And then eventually I started going, oh, actually, this is very bright. Uh, <laughs> you might not see that initially, but I, I'd encourage you to read it in detail. Um, because there's a lot of wisdom uh, found there. Ecclesiastes 11, 1 to 4 says this. It says, ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. So I mentioned that I, I deal with people every day about their finances. This verse is the number one thing I talk to people about, <laughs> is uh, when you're saving for the future, it's, it's like people are worried, so worried all the time. Fear just grips people all the time. It's, it's amazing to see grown men and women totally like, paralyzed by what's on CNN or the business news or whatever. And the writer of Ecclesiastes here has gotten at something that I think is so profound for today, for people like that, that I would, I would just like beat them over the head with it if I could. Um, it's that you don't know what's going to come back. It, it just says, you know, you've done all this work. Here's all this grain you've harvested. Ship it off and send it on the sea. Invest in this and this and this and these seven or eight things, whatever. Oh, you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> well, that's like, what? How, what are you talking about? That makes no sense. Like, don't you need certainty? And what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, and what God is saying through that, is that, no, you don't, but do it anyway. And that's a tough one for a lot of us. Uh, it's a tough one for me some days. Uh, you, you just don't know. There is no certainty in life at all. For a believer in Jesus, we know that he has died and rose again, and we know he's coming back, and we can cling to that. That's our life raft. Um, but everything else, meh, I don't know. <laughs> so you don't know what's going to happen to your investments. You don't know what's going to happen to your business. You don't know what's going to happen to your house, your family, nothing. But you do it anyway, and you hope for the best, and whatever happens, happens. A tree falls this way or that, oh, okay. Well, okay. Like, we have to just trust in God that that's what's happened, what has happened is okay, and that we're going to just move on from there. The principle here, though, is to not dwell on it, to make sure you're do, moving ahead anyway. Don't get crippled from moving forward by just staring at the, at the clouds, as the writer says. Don't worry about the rain, like, oh, it's raining outside, I don't think we should do that, or, oh, it, there's clouds, on, on, we're not going to go out and harvest the, 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 the grain, or, you know, 
Like, no, you got to move ahead anyway. So don't get crippled and stuck here. Uh, keep moving ahead. So the future uh, so is step five. I would say that m many Canadians really aspire to be at least here um, in their uh, process, and it's thinking about the future. So having some kind of savings for things like that you can pay for cars and buying a home and that you've got uh, some kind of retirement savings and perhaps you've got a plan to be debt free. At the end of step five is when you've accomplished those things. So many people spend most of their life just working on this step, okay? So some of these steps can take 20 minutes, like step one, and some of them you don't even need to do because you've done it already, like maybe steps two and three. Step four, maybe you're working on, maybe you're at step five. I don't know what each of you is dealing with at the, at the moment, <coughs> but most people end up here, is where you've accomplished step five, where you've, now you're either unable or unwilling to work, or no one wants to have you work for them, <laughs> so you're retired. Um, uh, you're maybe debt-free, hopefully debt-free, you've purchased a home, you own a home, uh, you own and have no other debts, and that is really, you're quite well uh, accomplished and well off by our society's terms. Um, it brings us to the sixth step, uh, which sort of goes into, um, I'm going to say like a vast, vast abyss of grayness. It's, there's a vast industry, which I'm part of and I work in, that's basically tailored to meeting people who've accomplished step five. Uh, to meeting those people's needs. <laughs> and uh, there's so much advice and, and, and research and stuff devoted to this area because there's a lot of money there. Um, so I'm not going to dwell on this uh, a ton, but people who are, arrive at step six are, have, are, are at a stage where most of us would only aspire to be there. Um, they're debt-free. They've they're definitely manage th managing things in a very sound uh, way. They're extremely responsible. They have a lot of freedom and choices uh, with what to do, how to do them, uh, and that kind of thing. They might even have philanthropic goals. They might have to do uh, like uh, elaborate estate planning. They might have to set up trusts, and it's, it gets really complicated really fast. Wealthy people are here, okay? Uh, there, there is, uh, like I'm just going to say, a vast gray area of what's right and wrong in this area. And I don't think that there's a lot of biblical principles we can draw out. There are some, and we're going to get into that in a couple minutes um, in terms of more advanced kind of stuff like that. But what I want to do is give you another few minutes to talk amongst yourselves uh, in light of stewardship and in light of these six steps that I've outlined about where we might be in this process, where does that leave us? So what step am I on? Have I skipped any steps? That's a big one that I see. When I've counseled people personally, I often see skipped steps. <laughs> uh, what's my biggest, what's been my biggest success so far? Maybe my biggest challenge? And how has God been working in my finances? I'd love to hear the answer to that. What's my next step? And I really want to hear that because each of us might have something different that God is calling us to at the moment. And I would, I'm, I'm, I'm super encouraged when I hear what God's saying to each of you. Uh, so please take a few minutes and talk about that. And then we'll come back and hopefully have uh, 
enough time to tackle our final final thing. All right. I'm hearing lots of good conversations again. Now this is uh, the conversations now aren't so much about like uh, we can maybe over over spiritualize the idea of stewardship and just like oh yeah God it's about God and we start talking about maybe what the scriptures have to say about clear areas in our life where we're not really measuring up, it kind of gets a little more like, ooh, yeah, I gotta, maybe gotta work on that one, or I feel really convicted about this issue, or I don't know what it was at your table. Those are the kind of conversations I was hearing, is practical, <laughs> real life stuff about how do we actually use our money? Because truth of the matter is, uh, we need to buy food. We need to get to and from work. We need, like, there's just a lot going on all the time, isn't it, right? Um, that's just the way life is. And so, how do we pursue obedience in those things? And that's what tonight's all about, of course. Um, but I, I did want to give you a framework that can hopefully uh, help you and help all of us have a better um, approach to when we encounter these kind of questions on our day-to-day life from now on. Uh, I'm not going to say you're going to nail it every time. I cer- certainly don't, but being closer, getting closer to that mark that hopefully uh, we feel clear about. So the last few minutes that we have together tonight, I want to talk about that. What is the approach that we have? So we've got the idea, the concept that God owns everything and we're just managing it. We are responsible and accountable to him for how we do it, and that there are rewards for good management. The idea of having treasure in heaven is is a concept that's in the Bible. And there's some clear steps that the Bible calls us to follow in the sense of some basic things that God wants us to do um, and are considered wise and prudent ways to manage our affairs in Scripture. But most of life isn't that way. Uh, And most of life is in the gray area, but can these biblical principles help? I think they can a great deal, and I think that they can offer us a good direction on how we can proceed and not just get stuck in this funk. The idea of making positive steps and positive change and, and really uh, pursuing uh, the will of God in this area is something that's dear to my heart, and I want all of us to leave tonight feeling like, yeah, okay, I feel well-equipped to move ahead. So, how do we proceed? So, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2 is the passage that, that I had picked out a couple months ago uh, to talk about uh, for t- this evening as a process. So, the passage itself is a process. Um, and my friend Steele came up to Promontory where we attend, and he preached this just a couple weeks ago, this passage. And he preached it the exact way that I was planning to talk about tonight. And I go, like, what? Like, God spoke to me through you, and I was going to speak on the same thing. I'm so blessed. I was so blessed that God had laid it on his heart, or I don't know how it happened. I didn't even get it from him, how he came across that passage. But uh, he spoke about um, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so... Paul's writing to the Romans, the church in Rome, and he's giving them a lot lot of exhortation and teaching. Romans is a rich book. You could spend your entire adult life studying Romans and nothing but if you were 
uh, John Piper <laughs> or somebody like that. Um, I don't maybe have the patience for that, but uh, you could certainly dwell there for a long time. And verses like this are why. This is very rich, and uh, Paul's writing to him, them saying this, Appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, there's, if, if, if you're looking at this verse and kind of breaking it up into chunks, the first chunk is about... Uh, basically, here's God's grace to you, given to you. It's all free and His that you've got now. And what God wants in return is you as a living sacrifice, all of you. So we talked about time, talent, treasure. That's what He means. Everything. Your body, your time, all of your skills and your money and resources, all of that. That's your living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We talked about that. Uh, I, I alluded to that giving is worship. That's exactly what's, what Paul's saying here. He's not saying specifically about giving, but our worship, our spiritual worship of, of sacrificing ourselves, our, our whole self in our lives towards glorifying God, towards His aims and His purposes is worship. When you work for him, when you're working at your job and you're working for him, you're worshiping. If you're not working for him, you're not worshiping. Do you understand the difference? If you go to work and say, oh, work, oh. But if you go to work going, it's for you, Jesus. I'm going to, I don't like my boss very much, but you've put him here for a reason and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work for you today, not him, because I don't like him very much, but I sure love you. That's worship. How does that change your work life? It's totally transforming. Same thing with your money. You take out your wallet, your credit card, you log into your online banking, you look at your investment portfolio, you can go get kind of discouraged, and why do we spend money on this, and why is this and that, blah, 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 and oh, should we do this or that, and you get just stuck in this fog. And if you go oh, log into your online banking and you go, well, Jesus, what do you have for me today for my money? totally different approach, right? If you approach it, it with submission to Jesus Christ as your first and foremost aim, as your act of worship to him with your money, your life will change. And I'm not over-promising on that. He will change your life if you do that. That's what Paul's talking about here. So, we've got the idea of him owning everything and giving you everything. We've got the idea of, yeah, you're doing these things, which is good, really good. Now, the last part, the sec second verse, verse 2, is do not be conformed by the, to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, life's full of all this gray area. What is God calling us to in this verse? There's a couple things. One, is don't act like everybody else. Don't be conformed to the world. Just because everybody else is doing it, that's not a good enough reason. As believers, we have a higher calling, not to follow the crowd. Now, I'm not going to say that always they're wrong, but I'm going to say most of the time from what I've seen, 
it's not, not the greatest to follow the crowd. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. So, I'm like super, this is the worst, uh, this, this deserves like 45 minutes to an hour talk. Matt, you get an hour. Everybody else, 45 minutes. <laughs> um, this, this verse deserves that much time, so I'm butchering it here, but apologize. Um, is that, okay, you're, God owns everything. You're worshiping him by following sort of his framework. Now you're dealing with all this stuff that he hasn't told you exactly what to do with. So his principles are don't conform, be transformed, and test. So, how do you test? Okay, well, you know what? For, for me, I might go, yeah, okay, like, I think this is a good vehicle for my family. I do my research. I think, yep, okay, and I pray about it. God's giving me peace. I go ahead. Later, I pray more about it, and it's like, eh, yeah, that's probably still a good choice. It was the best choice at the time, but I might do it differently next time. And that's the kind of thing that God wants to teach us along the way as we live our lives, that we're always submitting all these decisions that we have to Him of, yeah, you know what? Like, that's okay. It wasn't perfect, but you, okay, you're moving along. You're learning from your experiences. There's a sense of, of continuing on and testing and discerning and continuing to test and continuing to discern, and then all the while, you're trying to figure out what's good and acceptable and perfect. You're, you're, and we, we would apply this to all areas of our Christian life, our behavior uh, with our families at work, uh, the way we, our thought life is, how we, what sort of devotional life do we have, our prayer life, and our finances. Everything can fall under this in our, in our walk with God. And I think that uh, if I had more time, I would go more into this, but I want to give you this framework. If you come back to Romans 12, 1 and 2, please look at it in this sort of way. And um, it's, it's just, I think, could be totally transformative in the way that we approach so many things in life. So, before I give you your last time to talk amongst yourselves, uh, I just want to go over a couple other things. Uh, there's, there are principles of obedience that I want to talk about, and, and I'm, I've alluded to them already. One, it's all gods. We're just temporary managers. We're just caretakers. We're like the janitor. God's hired us. He's like, yep, make sure my stuff's taken care of. If you do well with that, I'll give you more. If you don't, I'll take it away. And that's the way God runs things. It doesn't always seem fair. That's the way he's done it. He's provided some basic principles for us to live by in the Bible. I would encourage all of you to read Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, uh, the Gospels. Uh, even stories in like Genesis and Exodus are just rich and full of stories of how God blesses faithful managers and really how he views unfaithful ones. Um, it's not kindly. And I think the main thing that I always take away is that all of this is supposed to be for his glory, his pleasure, and our own good. So, one of the tests that I would use for these gray areas of life, um, in addition to Romans 12, 1 and 2, is 
that as we sacrifice ourselves uh, as, and present ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, as his uh, co-laborers, as his slaves, as his purchased uh, people, his purchased bride, that uh, we would be framing our financial decisions of whether or not they give glory to God or do they take away from him. I don't know if you've ever thought about your spending decisions and whether they glorify the Lord Jesus or not, but I would encourage you to go through your week this next week with that as a test. Is this something that can glorify Jesus or maybe not? And that actually might change what you do, how you do it, and why. Like you're, you know what, I want a new pair of snowshoes, all right? So I want to go snowshoeing. I'd like, I need a new pair of snowshoes. I need a pair of snowshoes to go snowshoeing. And I've been thinking, wrestling with this. I know it's only $200 or whatever I want to spend, but, you know, I'm thinking like, oh, okay, like, can I glorify God with buying snowshoes or will it be something that I'm just pursuing selfishly? And if I'm honest, it could go either way. And maybe sometimes it would be selfish and sometimes it might glorify God. Uh, maybe it's something I'm going to do with my family or friends to bond, and we might have great conversations along the way and good fellowship, and we might appreciate God's creation all the more because of the time in nature that we get to spend. Or maybe it's just going to be me getting absorbed with another thing to do, another thing to manage in my house. And I wrestle with these kind of decisions that way. Now, it might seem trivial to you and a lot of work maybe, but I found that to be extremely helpful. Uh, can I use what I have to glorify Him? And that's the test I would use, uh, and that's, uh, I think, one that we can, can uh, lean on a little bit as we go through our lives. So we just have a few minutes uh, left. Um, I'm going to give you a few minutes to talk amongst yourselves, and then I'll, I'll close us. You know what? I'm just going to close us in prayer now, then I'm going to leave you five to ten minutes to talk, and I'll come around and, and, and just uh, chat with you. And uh, if you need to leave, go ahead. I, I know it, it's just about 7.30, so I don't want to, like, keep you here longer than you need to be. Uh, but I'd encourage you to stick at your table and, and talk about the, these next questions uh, and whether you thought about them in this sort of way before. I'm going to just pray now, and then uh, on one final note... There, on your table, there are a couple books, and you are free to take those. If there's more people than, than books, you can arm wrestle each other, okay? No, okay, let us know, and we'll get you a copy, okay? It's Randy Alcorn's book on managing money. <clears throat> Lord God, uh, I'm so grateful for the brief time we've had together tonight. Uh, I know it's only 90 minutes to talk about a huge, huge topic. And I want more time to devote to this, and I pray that each of us would be drawn to your word and drawn to worship you through our finances and every area of our life. Our work can be worshipped for you. Our bank accounts can worship you. We can worship you with everything, Lord, and we should. Uh, help us to go through our week with figuring out ways to glorify you and give you more praise and, and adoration that you're due. I just pray that you'll be convicting each one of us with, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, as we go through our week. And just what next, what's our next step? Where are we at? 
what are you calling us to, God? Um, I pray that you'd give each one of us an answer uh, and that you'd be faithful to us to, uh, to pursue obedience uh, to your word and to your Holy Spirit, Lord. We thank you for all this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes. So is it a gray area with the Yeah, it is. <laughs> That's why the question's up there. It's a gray area for sure. Um, so I, like all of these questions, I've settled on my own answer, but I don't want to prescribe that answer for you because the Bible is not clear. So what I'm going to tell you is how I've arrived at my answer, and then hopefully you can arrive at your own answer through that, okay? Is that fair? (laughs) Um, Giving how much and to whom is a big question that uh, the New Testament and uh, even the Old Testament is not clear on, okay? So there's this principle of tithing, which tithe just means a tenth. Uh, In the Old Testament, it was very rarely actually adhered to, We see the first instance of this with Abraham giving a tenth of all he pillaged from the people he just beat up, giving it to a high priest named Melchizedek. Okay, so that's the first tithe. The first gift in the Bible is not a tithe. It's Abel's offering to God of his, the first fruit of his flock. Um, So there, even in the Old Testament, it's not super clear. Um, In traditional uh, teaching in the church, there's, there's, I certainly grew up hearing about tithing. Uh, tithing was sort of like, yeah, every good Christian should give 10% um, because that's what we say. I, I didn't ever hear a good answer to that question. And actually, I don't really think there's a great biblical answer of why a Christian would be mandated to give 10% as a, a blanket rule. Now, you might feel convicted to give 10. Um, I, that's Actually, what I arrived at initially when I first uh, told, told you my story, I arrived at that conclusion that that's what God was calling me to as a beginning step. Um, I give much more than 10 now um, because I don't, like, I just don't feel like that's an appropriate amount. God's called me to give something different. Uh, and God might call you to give some other thing. What I think is really, really important one, I talked about this in my sermon at church here, so if you want to go back and look at our giving series from, what, February, I think, Matt, is that right? Um, I talked about this. There's principles in giving. The ones I'll just draw out related to this specific question about tithing uh, is give out of a joyful heart. Like, and I say that not like, God just doesn't need your money. He can take it anytime he wants. He will, in fact. (laughs) Like, I can tell you story after story after story of things happening to me when I've been disobedient of just like, oh, wow, yeah, yeah, I did that again, and God taught me a lesson. And maybe it was through finances, maybe it was through something else. And then I've had the opposite happen where I've been faithful in giving, and then God's been faithful in providing something else. Uh, you know, and it's truly amazing. So giving joyfully, 
and without any kind of compulsion is absolutely necessary for a Christian. Um, we just, like, you can't buy your way into heaven. Um, giving to the church isn't going to change your salvation at all, um, but it may change your relationship with things, and it may change your relationship with God. So that would be another reason why uh, we would want to give uh, and give joyfully, is because we know it's obedience to give. And then the last thing I would point out is giving of the first fruits. The idea, the very first offering in the Bible is Abel, and uh, he was killed for it, <laughs> jealousy over it actually, so that's quite telling how much sway this area of our life might hold, um, is that he gave the first of the produce. So the idea here in our context, because I don't raise flocks, maybe some of you do, but I don't. And uh, you know, if I put, uh, I have a vegetable garden in my backyard, and if I put a carrot in the offering plate, I'm, you know, I, it's probably not well appreciated. <laughs> so I get a paycheck. Every three months I get paid. And uh, so when I get paid, I give, like the next Sunday. Uh, there's no delay for me. Um, that's just the way I feel about it. Um, and that's what I've arrived at because of those principles that you can draw out of Scripture. First fruits, joyful, and, and it being something that transforms our relationship with God, people, and things. And it can be extremely meaningful to give and give faithfully. And uh, I hope that kind of <laughs> doesn't dance around the question but answers it. I don't think there's a biblical mandate to tithe in the New Testament or elsewhere. Lightning hasn't struck me yet, so I think we're good. <laughs> Anything else? Where to give? Anybody with? Th ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you give when you're the only believer in your family? Uh, carefully. <laughs> um, I'm assuming, are you married? I'm married. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. He'd like to give his salary too. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's good. Um, yeah, feeling convicted about that. Uh, you know, uh, there's, there's two elements to your question which I think are really important. So the family dynamic is really important. Relationships should never, uh, to me, it's, you can't throw away a good relationship, a healthy relationship for this sort of matter. To me, it's secondary. So submission to your husband and what he says in the house would, would be my first priority. And, but having a, a healthy conversation about it, like it sounds like you've already started that by actually saying, you know, I want to give to the church. I feel called and convicted by God to do that, and I want to do that faithfully. And what that means to me is, and whatever God's calling you to, say that and communicate it well. And you know, I would just say, but I want to be respectful of what 
you know, as the leader of our house, what you have to say about this, and and just leave it at that. And if you know, God God moves um, just in amazing ways in people's hearts, and I might even use that to witness to Him somehow. I I have no idea. Yeah, I hope that helps. Anything else? Yeah. Giving to local church versus there's so many other organizations that need our money. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so giving to the local church versus other great ministries, causes. Uh, I do all those things. Um, and I'm not like, like I don't want to ha- applause or anything for that. I just, I think there's lots of good things to give to. Um, one, the priority would, would, for me as a believer, be giving to the local church because that's where you worship, where you worship with other people, where you have fellowship, where you're taught the Word of God and can teach and fellowship with other peoples and are drawn closer to God. And uh, in the New Testament, Paul writes extensively, like many, many times, about supporting uh, the elders and pastors of the church and the work of the church and ministry to the poor in your local community, and that's the primary avenue of giving that's referenced in, in the New Testament, especially in Paul's epistles. Uh, I think there are other times when you c- can and should give to other causes. The first test of that would be if you are convicted by God to do that very thing. Uh, never disobey God. <laughs> I've had experience with disobeying him, and I, it, it's always been unpleasant, uh, the outcome. I'm just warning. <laughs> uh, so if he's calling you to give to something because it matters uh, to him and to you, and it's going to increase glory to him and bring him praise and worship, and, and you can do it joyfully and, and meet all the check boxes that I talked about already, great. Uh, but I think that primarily, like, our primary method of giving as believers should be to the local church where we call our church home. Um, yeah, that, that's my conviction personally. Yeah? Completely. Yeah, I agree. I think that uh, that's a good point. Um, it's just, yeah, we are a part of a community and and not, like our local church, Central, does not meet everyone's needs in the community. We don't have a mission to uh, homeless youth. The Cyrus Center does that, and we give to them through the church, like through the church, we give to them as an example. Um, we have a mission. Our mission is to create authentic followers of Jesus Christ, and we have values that kind of keep us on the right track, and that mission and values doesn't encompass everything. So certainly God might call some of us to give to other organizations where, yeah, you know, I have a deep, uh, you know, 
longing to see the homeless people in Chilliwack reached, and I might choose to give to the Salvation Army through that, or, you know, the health of our community is a, a, a valuable thing to me, so I've given to the Chilliwack Hospital Foundation, or there could be any number of great avenues to give to uh, charitably. The main thing that I would do in those, when I'm faced with those kind of, because I get asked for money, <laughs> as many of us do, um, is where does it bring the most glory to God? And can this gift to this organization bring glory to God, or is it something that's going to detract? Maybe it's neutral. I don't know. But I think that, that each of us have a duty when we give to an organization, a charity, to, to ask that question. Is this God glorifying? Is it, you know, is it something I can do joyfully? Does it check all those boxes? And I think that would be my approach. I don't know if that helps, Link. Ah, um, so the question is, what's the advice of uh, proportionate to your wage, what type, kind of car should you drive, right? Um, <laughs> I could spout off a percentage, and that might mean something, but <clears throat> I've heard a couple pieces of advice that I think are really helpful. I think that one should be proportionate to your wage. <laughs> um, like I've, I've encountered people through my work, they, they honestly, they, they've gone through their entire adult life leasing new BMWs and they're poorer for it, much, much poorer <laughs> because they've driven a car that's always been beyond their means. Um, and they are, you know, it's never been something that's helped them. Uh, they might have felt good I don't know how they got stuck in that trap, but I think that they, did, they failed to have a rule about it is what is probably the main thing that's, that, that uh, hindered them. Uh, you know, Dave Ramsey, I don't know if anybody knows Dave Ramsey here, he's a very popular financial uh, guy in the US and he's got a lot of really great uh, principles of financial principles and one of his principles is you never buy a new car until your net worth is over a million dollars. I thought, oh, that's that's a decent one. I'm going to use that one. That's a good rule. Like maybe 10% of your annual pay, 20 be a stretch. I don't know. Like, and paying cash is always best, but you know, if it's a pinch, do you borrow? Okay, maybe. Like, eh, hopefully not 100% of the value. You know, th there there aren't there aren't like ironclad rules about this thing, but I think you need to approach those kind of decisions with a sense of submission to God uh, about what it is that you're trying to accomplish with your vehicle. Um, is it something that's a tool, which it is, like a vehicle is a tool, right? Uh, in our society, the advertising says it's like a status symbol and it's gonna make you feel all these things. And I always see the cars on the advertising, like trucks driving through mud and getting things dumped in them. I would never do that in a brand new truck, ever, <laughs> ever. And the sports cars are always on these beautiful, windy roads with no other traffic. And when I see them on the road, I was at Cypress Mountain yesterday and I saw a Porsche <coughs> driving in the slush. And I'm like, that's gross. This is the worst Porsche advertisement ever. <laughs> but the reality of the situation is Lamborghinis get stuck in traffic just like Toyotas. <laughs> and 
I don't know what it helps, but it seems kind of silly to me. I'm not a super big car guy, but I like the cars, but it's whatever. They're just a tool. Um, but yeah, I think it's helpful to have a general rule about I, the, I, what have you arrived at would be my question. Yeah. So paying cash has been your policy. It's a good policy. Yeah. Keeps you out of trouble. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Anything else is just burning. You're all just st sitting here still. Nobody's left. So I'll keep taking questions. So <laughs> Go ahead, Ernie. Not sure if I totally understand the question. The, the idea that you're driving at is like, should it be proportionate to your income, or is that just something that society tells us? Like, yeah, should we be more concerned about what we're keeping as opposed to justifying what we're giving based on the proportion? Mm, okay. So we're testing giving and buying a car in the same way. Is that? I would say just because I could afford to do X, is it still an appropriate thing? Ah, okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah. This is appropriate. However, perhaps I should be looking at what I'm choosing to keep yes. versus what I'm choosing to give. Yeah. So the different people have different approaches on that question, and I think the Bible's unclear uh, in terms of like a, a definite rule. Um, so the the question revol is sort of a revol revolving around like I'll put it in numbers. Okay. Uh, so if you make eighty thousand dollars a year as a family and you're living off that comfortably and being obedient in all the ways that we're talking about, and somehow you got a, a doubling in your pay, and now you're making $160,000 a year. Do you choose to live like you were st living before, right? Correct. And give the rest, or do you raise your standard of living and your giving at the same time? So like proportionate, it's all proportionate. And that's a really, like, I think that people can arrive at different things. Uh, um, the CRA has a lot to say about that. <laughs> they say that you're supposed to give more to the federal government when you earn more money proportionately. So they have something to say about that. So it's not all you that gets to choose that. But in that instance, I think that that's got to be a personal conviction. Uh, I know uh, there's several ministers I, I've heard over the years uh, have felt convicted to, as they've gotten, say, like, book royalties and all this, like, fame and, and like, they sell a million books, and so now they're, like, multi-millionaires. Uh, they've chosen to still live like they lived before on their lowly pastor's salary. Um, and that's great if they have that conviction and they've chosen to give all their proceeds from their book writing to, to other worthy causes or to their church ministry or what have you. That's fantastic. I, I think that's great. Um, personally, like as I've, uh, you know, my income has increased over the years, I've personally felt convicted to give a heck of a lot more. My lifestyle's also gone up though, but I, I would say that 
the way I feel about that is the way I approach my spending decisions as I've like I increased my giving more I've in, as as I've earned more money I've increased my giving more and I've felt convicted to do so and I've done it very happily those are the best investments I could ever make in my view um, and if I was asked to give more by God I would give more uh, I would sacrifice my lifestyle to that end but there's also an end uh, like if you read the book of Ecclesiastes it talks a lot about the gift that God gives us as people who are laboring daily. And the gift is that we get to enjoy food and drink and a family and our spouse and like the work of our hands and all these good things. And I, me I think that God's meant us to enjoy our labors and part of enjoying our labors and enjoying some of the fruit of our labor. So the, it's just part of his grace. And the next meal you have, when you say grace, that's what it's meant to be, is that, wow, the work of my hands has produced this meal, and you've given me all of the work that I've done, and thank you, God. Um, and we're meant to enjoy those meals. We're meant to enjoy good food and friendship. And I don't think we could ever, should ever feel guilty about enjoying good things. Um, they're, they're also consuming and, and, and enjoying those things is an act of worship as well because he's made those things. They're good things. He's made them good. Um, and if we do them in worship to him, they're good. Uh, so I don't think there's a, a black and white answer to that question. I think that's a personal conviction issue. Um, does that help? Perfect. Yo. Maybe. That's my answer, is maybe. Um, I've dealt with couples who've argued about this their entire married life. One spouse says, give more away, and one spouse says, no, we have to plan for our future. And they never arrive at an answer. There's always a tension there, and it's awkward. Um, and I think it's okay to have some tension in your life about, oh, am I keeping too much, or should I give more? Like, I feel that way uh, regularly. So you're not alone. Um, and I think that it's fairly healthy to have that kind of mental, emotional tension in your life about, okay, is this the right amount? Because it means, and I think this is really important, it doesn't mean that you're anxious about it. It means that you want to do what God wants. And I think that you need to approach those kind of decisions about, is this too much or too little or with okay, God, uh, I'm not clear on this. This is what I've arrived at. But if you're telling me something differently, please let me know and be open-handed about that decision. And I think that's a good approach. Uh, I don't know of any other way to really approach that question except that, is that he might ask some of us to accumulate massive wealth. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, clearly some people in the world are extremely wealthy. And for some reason, they are. I don't know... I mean, there's lots of reasons why, um, but, you know, it, life's part of life is just kind of random, and it just happens, and it's okay. 
It's kind of like that Ecclesiastes verse that I drove at a little earlier, Ecclesiastes 11. It's sort of like, yeah, you might do all these things and they may all be super fruitful and amazing and multiply like hugely, or they might be lost. And we don't know what's what, and we just kind of have to accept it when it comes. It's, 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 not, uh, it's not like this causes this. It's not an engineering type of relationship. Um, I don't know if that helps, but what I'm saying is that there is a healthy tension in life about those kinds of questions, and I think that's okay. Go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> that is a good question. That is a whole other topic, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel that all the time as the stewardship guy here. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yes. So there, there's an important point there. I'll talk about that. So the idea of of making sure spaces are functional and, and attractive is important. And then there's also the idea of making sure that we're doing the most to make the most of our ministries. And that's, I would say, like, we talk about that a lot, <laughs> like hours and hours monthly about that sort of stuff. And we're always trying and praying to be as faithful as possible here. And I think most churches I've been a part of or seen uh, they're all trying to do that. They all arrive at different kind of uh, methods. I'd say a couple of things is that, uh, you know, church isn't household finances, so it is very different. Um, here at Central, as an example, we don't have like a, a job we can go to to earn money. <laughs> like the church doesn't have a job, nor does it have a product to sell. So it's unlike a business or a household. We have no idea when we start the year how much money will come in <laughs> at all, like none. We start at zero every year. And so we do a budget, and that's probably a helpful guide, but sometimes it's less than helpful. <laughs> if I'm really honest, it's like, oh, well, that didn't work out. Or sometimes like, oh, this came up, and it's amazing, and God's calling us to this, and, well, we got to change. Maybe not. 180, yeah, hopefully not, but a slight course correction. So there's got to be some flexibility with, with the church's finances. And I think we, we're always seeking God's will through prayer, through, you know, good counsel and, uh, and searching the word to find out what might be the best way. But I think, yeah, it's, it's the main thing here, and I can only speak about here, is that if it serves our mission, it's likely we're going to do that. So the idea of making sure all of us 
have the opportunity to come to nights like tonight, to hear good teaching on Sunday morning, and glorify God with our voices and our bodies on Sunday morning and throughout the week is critical. And making sure our kids have an opportunity to hear the Word of God and to praise Him and to make sure our youth kids have the same opportunities to make sure every single person who calls themselves a member or an attendee of Central, that they have the chance to worship God in, a, in, a, in a, the most God-honoring way possible and hear from Him through His Word and teaching about His Word is, is of the utmost importance. So if it accomplishes that, we will likely spend money on that, first and foremost. Um, and so when we approach questions like, should we renovate this room, which we did, uh, we would approach it with that, that lens. Will it help us accomplish that better than we are now? Will it help us reach more people than we do now? And we always need a, need a yes. It has to be a yes and a for sure yes, a consensus, all of us, yes, uh, when we approach those kind of decisions. I don't want to keep all of you here, so if this is... Um, <laughs> I, I appreciate all the questions, I really do. If you have more, please come talk, but I will let you go and uh, please go with God, seek his will, and pursue obedience to him. <laughs>